Well, we want to welcome you to our service today, and this is a little weird, not going to lie to you. This is uh, me talking to just a few people present here, but I know it's probably a little weird for you too, and that's, that's fine. Uh, this is kind of be the new normal for at least a little while, uh, but um, we're going to get through this. Um, how many of you got up this morning and uh, dressed just like you would for coming to church. You want to raise, raise your hand. I see Cheryl and Jeremy and Roy. If you're raising, and Cam too, if you're raising your hand at home, you do realize no one can see you but you raising your hand. Um, so, you know, it's going to be different. Some of you might get used to this, but don't get too used to it. This really isn't the way that I think uh, that the church was intended to be, just kind of watching online. But I'm so glad we live in a time when we can do that. Um, I'm going to do something that I just feel like before I start the sermon, I need to um, address a few things just about this whole coronavirus scare and all that's going on. And I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which I'm going to read to you from the Bible uh, without really giving you context and all of that. And the reason I can do this is because we've spent a year and a half getting ready for this moment. We've, we've been going through... Um, Romans chapter 12, we've been talking about what it means to be a healthy church, and, and so, so it's something that you have seen, and if somehow you miss that, or you're just joining us for the first time today, you can go look on our website, go look at our, our um, sermons all the way back from 2018 in the fall, when we first started going through Romans 12 and what it means to be a healthy church. And I think it's important that we do this at this time, that we read these verses because these verses are not just words. If we really say the Bible is God's word and it's true, we need to look at these verses and think about how we can do this. And we have history as the church. Sometimes you'll hear history about the church and it only talks about all the bad things that were done by the church. But there's some strong history that's not talked about enough about our, our forebearers, other Christians in the past and what they've done. You know, you can go back, all the way back to, to the second century, and in Rome there was an outbreak that they're not sure if it was smallpox or measles or something like that, but 2,000 people a day were dying, not getting sick, 2,000 a day were dying. And sadly, Christians, because they were kind of a minority, were being blamed for the outbreak. But what really kind of messed up the, the people who were blaming them's kind of theory is, first of all, Christians were dying. They weren't like somehow, you know, spared. But Christians were also going and helping those who were being abandoned. People were scared. They didn't know what to do. They were doing some of the same things we're doing, isolating. If they knew someone was sick, a lot of times the really ones that were really bad off, they'd just leave them. And... Christians would go and, and care for them in this time. About a hundred years later, the same thing happens. It's an even, it's an even bigger problem. 5,000 a day are dying. And Christians did exactly the same thing. And you can fast forward just another over a thousand years later. You know, we, we've heard about Martin Luther and, and, his, and his wife, Catherine. And how when there was the bubonic plague, and this isn't the big, 
brig outbreak that happened a couple hundred years earlier, but this is the one that happens there in the 1500s. And at that time, you know, we, we have this great letter from, from Martin Luther who, who explains, I think, well what we should do in response to um, situations like this. His first thing was, don't be stupid. You know, listen to what you know, are considered best practices being put out by the health experts. The health experts could be wrong. You know, I've talked to some doctors and, and they say there's so much we don't know. They could be wrong. But they're doing the best they can to tell you what's the best things you can do at this time. And I'm so glad that people have been doing it. But he said, make sure you do that. That's, that's one thing. But he also said, we have a duty as Christians. We have a duty not to abandon those who cannot get help in any other way. That if there are people who have been deserted or abandoned or they just can't get the care they need, we cannot abandon them. And I think he, he draws that great balance. And so we have history. And the question, you know, that I want us to be thinking about is, you know, what will history say about us? What will history say about the church, about Christians in this time? What did we do? And so to help us, I just want to remind us by reading through Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 21. And Paul writes this, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Or, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, are these just words? Are these just words that we just read and we go, yeah, 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 nice sentiment? Or are these words that we will live out whether times are good or times are bad? 
I encourage you again and again, go back, read these words. Paul wrote them 2,000 years ago. He could have written them to all of us today. This coronavirus crisis, it's going to do something to our church. It's going to reveal who we really are. It's going to reveal what we really value. It's going to say, are you strong? Are you healthy? Do you actually care and love each other? There's going to be great opportunities to grow in our faith. There's going to be great opportunities to grow in our love. It's going to force us to ask this question, what is the church? Is the church this building? I hope not. The building's empty. Is the church this special time that we gather together? I hope not because we're not gathering together, not in the way we're used to. Is it a routine? Is church just the thing that we do? We just show up and we, sh and we have our time and then we move on? This is going to force us to ask and really embrace, is the church really the people? Is it really the community? And now's our time to prove it. Now's our time not to be able to hide it or mask it by having these programs and things that are planned for us. Now's our time. Is our church healthy? Is it a community? Are we going to continue to press on and grow and learn and love and serve even when we cannot be together? You need to know that what's being said out there is, is that this isn't just going to be this week and next week. I know we said, hey, two weeks. That's, that's what we knew at the time. But it looks like this kind of thing is going to be going on for at least a month, maybe two, maybe three months into the summer. And it's a chance again for us to be the body of Christ. It's a chance for us to prove what do, who are we really. And I encourage you in all of that. Well, I told you before I left uh, on my trip that uh, I was excited about this new series. And this new series that we've entitled, How He Loves Us. How He Loves Us. You see, um, you know, for the past year and a half, when we've been talking about a healthy church, I've been trying to help you understand that we need to overcome this mentality that's just drilled into us in, in church, especially in American church, especially in the 20th and 21st century, which is somehow Christianity is all about you and what you get out of it. It's all about what, you know, the joy you get or the peace you get or the salvation, the heaven or whatever. It's all been about you. And I've been kind of drilling into us that we have to understand that that's not why Jesus saved us. He didn't save us just to give us stuff or to make us feel better. He, he saved us so that, so that he could use us. And we've been focusing on that so much. And one of the reasons I was excited about uh, preaching this series on how he loves us is because this is a chance to come back and now focus and say, what does he do for us? What do we receive? And so if you're kind of new to our, our messages, just understand this isn't typical. But I also want you to always keep in mind that as we talk about how we benefit from what Christ did, we also want to keep in mind that he did this so that we would be his hands and feet in this world. He did this so that we could display his glory in this world. It's not just for you. And so we come to the sermon today. 
how he loves us. Just one verse. And he loves us to become like us. This is the way he loves us. He became like us. And we read this in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we're, we're here. We're, we're looking at the Gospel of John at the very beginning. Sometimes it's called the prologue or the, or the foreword, the, the beginning words. And if you go back to verse 1, John is going to go for about 18 verses here. And he's going to write something that we don't really find anywhere else in Scripture. He's writing about how Jesus came to be. He's writing about how he is, he is God existing with God. And he doesn't really explain all that. He just says, this is what it is. And then he talks about how he comes. How he comes to us. And then it says, how he became like us. And so here, John is trying to help us because he's, he's, he's going to just be giving us more and more throughout his gospel about how we, what we see and what he and, and those, those first followers of Christ saw. It was so much, so powerful what they heard, what they saw him do, that they could come to no other conclusion than that, that this is the Son of God. And so... We see this verse, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. You see, one of the things that we're going to see here, what John is presenting, is we're going to be seeing how God loves us. And this idea, the Word became flesh, what it tells us is, is, that, is that God said He would become like us. He would identify with us. And that's, that's kind of not the way we, we like to do things, the way we think. So many times, like, we, we want someone to, to become like us, but we don't want to become like them. We don't want to think the way that they think. We don't want to understand why they like things that they like. We just, we just like, ah, whatever, and just move on. Even sometimes with the people we love, you know, you might have husbands and wives that, that, that say that they love each other, but there's certain areas of their lives that are just cut off. They don't really want to know. And yet here we find God. God is the one who was rejected by us. God is the one who we are treating like an enemy. God is the one who's been offended even though he's provided everything for us but God is also the one that doesn't just sit back and say you come groveling to me instead he comes to us he comes to us and there's reasons for it and the most fundamental reason is because he created us and he loves us but the other reason is also important because we on our own could not in any way go to him. We could not be like him. And it's not just because we're limited human beings. It's because we're too selfish. 
We're too obsessed with our own survival. If the coronavirus has proved anything, it's proved that there's a lot of people in this world that if we were supposed to be evolving to be a better, kinder, gentler, more caring, compassionate society, we really haven't. It's at least in these early stages of this crisis, it's been, you know, every man for himself. You know, get as much toilet paper as you can. You know, you know get as much, you know, food as you can. You know, you, you, you think about yourself and your own and protecting yourself and your own. And yeah, there's some good people out there. There's people out there that, that aren't giving into that. But you can see, like, the overall sense in, in our society, and not just our society, around the world, is this obsession with ourselves and our obsession with our own survival. Why would we even want to go back to God? And in truth, what we are, the way Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 5, we are helpless enemies of God. We think we're powerful, we think we're rebelling, we think we're enemies, but in fact, we're helpless. And in that state, when God would have had every right to abandon us, he sends his son, and Jesus comes. He becomes like us. Now you might ask, well, why does he love us? I can't really answer that. I mean, it's one of those situations where you go, you know, he'll just have to somehow explain that to us. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're so awesome. It's not because he's lonely. That's not why. But he does. He loves us. And because he loves us, he became like us. And I just think those of us who want to be followers of Christ, who understand that that means being a follower of Christ means that we grow and we learn and we become more like Christ, that we need to also love like him. And that means that when we love like he does, we also, we have to figure out ways where we're not just, um, just saying, hey, I will love people if they can understand me. I will love people if they will enter into my world. I will love people if, you know, if they come to me. But we will go to them and we will, we will become like them. I am very impressed. And it's one of the things I've wanted to do at our church since I've been here, but we just haven't had the time. I'm very impressed when churches begin things like uh, English as a second language kind of classes. I'm, I'm very impressed because it's more than what most churches do. And so they offer this to people coming in, internationals who don't speak English, and it's a great way to help and to connect. But here's what I'm even more impressed with, and I rarely see this, is when people in the church say, you know what, I'm going to learn other people's languages so I can communicate with them. You see, we want them to become like us, so we'll teach them English. And you know, that's great. That's a step. But if we're going to become like them, maybe we should learn to speak their language. Maybe we should be the one that has kind of the, the broken Korean or the broken Japanese or the broken Chinese that doesn't quite sound right. And we're the one who has to kind of go through that awkward struggling with it because we can show them how much, not just we love them, but God loves them. 
But so many times we want people to become like us. We want them to come to a place like this. We want them to, to fit into our conventions instead of saying, how can we become like them? Well, the second thing that we see in this verse is that it says, He not only became flesh, but He dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He moved toward us. He lived with us. You know, that was one of the um, you know, things that was really impressive upon me when I was in seminary. We'd have this chapel speaker. He would come almost every year. And his name was Charles Lyons. And Charles Lyons was this, this howly guy who decided that, you know, or he believed God was calling him to go into the inner city of Chicago to, to plant a church. And he, he went there. And from what I understand, he's still there. And it's because when he went into the inner city, even though he wasn't like the people that were there, when he went there, he realized if he was going to minister there, he had to live in the neighborhood. And one of the things he used to say whenever he spoke at chapel, I heard him three or four times, he said it almost every single time. He said, Jesus didn't commute from heaven. He didn't go home at 5 p.m. every day after his work was done. He said he moved into the neighborhood. And it's so hard for us because whenever we think about neighborhoods we live in, we're not thinking about how we're going to minister and reach the people in that neighborhood. But Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He was the one who was wronged, but he made it right. He didn't sit around like we do sometimes, like, well, I'll forgive them if they come and apologize. No. He moved into the neighborhood. And then we see this, this, this next bit, and it's so hard in a short amount of time to unpack this next, next bit, where he says that we have seen his glory. You see, Jesus showed us who God really is. When John talks about glory, he, when he talks about God's glory in the gospel, most of the time he's talking about God being revealed as God is. And so he reveals Jesus when the word becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. He reveals who God really is. And one of the things he shows us abundantly is that God is love. Not love is God. Don't get that garbage in your head which so many people say. But there's something fundamental about God's nature that is love. And he showed us what that is. And it's more than just, oh, I understand it. It's more than just the unconditional love we might have for our friends and families. But it's unconditional love that we have for friends, families, strangers, and our enemies. In fact, one of the points I've made pre prior to this that I think is really important because it helps us understand how incredibly impossible God's love is for us to do on our own. And that is that, that God is loving us through Jesus Christ while we are killing him. Can we love our enemies even when they're killing us? It's a tough, 
it's a tough standard, it's a high standard, it's an impossible standard. We cannot do it on our own. But Jesus shows us this. We don't do this from self-interest. We have nothing to offer to God that he needs. And yet he still loves us. If we're honest, almost all of our love somehow serves a self-interest. We get something out of it. But God's love, when we see who God really is, when we see his glory, we really see this unconditional love. Now, understand, we can't talk about love without talking about holiness. God is also holy. God also tells us the ways that are appropriate for us to express love to one another and the ways that are wrong and inappropriate. He tells us those things. He tells us the things that, are, that, that we should not do and the things that we should do. If you look through that Romans passage that I read before, there's so many things that we should do. How we can show love. So we cannot forget holiness, but we do have to understand that God is both holy and God is love. And I think that's what the world needs. The world needs more than people just telling them their beliefs. Don't simply tell me your beliefs. Show them to me. Don't just say you understand the Bible and you can read the Bible. The question is, have your beliefs made you more like Jesus? If your beliefs haven't made you more like Jesus, what good are they? They're just beliefs. They're just things in your head. But if your beliefs have made you more like Jesus, you should be more able to love as only God can love, including loving your enemies. You should be more of a servant, more humble-hearted as Jesus was. You should be more directed away from yourself and more towards meeting the needs of others. You know, as we go through this time right now with the coronavirus crisis, again, it's forced us to, to ask some questions. It's forced us to deal with some things, to struggle with some things. And we need to think about now, like how God loves us is how he wants us to love. How do I do it now? How do I do it during this coronavirus crisis? Well, there's a lot of ways. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm going to go through the one that's kind of, kind of in our face as a church right now. And not just our church, every church. Are you willing to become like others by learning new things? Are you willing to become like others? Are you willing to love the way God loves, become like others in your church out of love by learning new things? It doesn't matter how old or younger you are. There's, there's new things you're going to have to do and have to learn so that we can continue to be the church for at least the next few weeks, if not the next few months. And I'll tell you, we're talking a little bit about this in our Sunday school class that we met online with. Uh, by the way, we had about the same number we usually have, so it was great. Um, we even had a dog show up, so that was awesome. Um, but 
the th the th when we look at this, okay, there's the younger generation, and some people in the older generation just don't get this. There's a younger generation. There's the, the kind of Gen, -er, um, Gen Zers and some of the millennials. What they are deathly afraid of doing is talking to people on the phone. Oh, they'll text, they'll email, but talk on the phone? No way. In fact, if you want to test this, next time somebody, your, you know, your kid or your grandkid says, oh, yeah, yeah, I was talking with someone last night, ask them, were you actually talking or were you texting? Or were you emailing or were you on social media and IMing or something? Most of the time, it's not going to be they were talking on the phone. Young people, if you want to be like the older people, you know what? got to talk on the phone. Get over it. Some of our older people, they just feel like they cannot possibly do anything with technology. They can't, they can't use a computer. They can't use a smartphone. It's not that they don't have access. Some don't have access, and I understand that. But just that they can't. And they say that they can't. And they just say, well, I guess if that's the only way we can do it, I guess I just have to do without. Become like others. Learn new things. You see, whenever you say, and I don't care what it's about, but whenever you say, I cannot, you are actually saying, God cannot. In other words, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who created the earth out of nothing, the God who brought Jesus back from the dead, can't teach you to use a smartphone. That God is just, he just doesn't understand how incredible it is. If he could part the Red Sea, he can do the miracle of teaching you to use a smartphone. He can teach you, younger person, the ability to pick up a phone and speak to another human and listen to them and have a conversation. You can. It's possible. Our God is great. He can overcome what we think he cannot. Are we willing to learn new things to become like each other? Are we willing to embrace new and old technology? And by the way, if someone just this week said, cannot, cannot, cannot. You know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to ask them again. And I'm going to keep asking them. And if possible, I'm going to try to get ways to help them. I don't want to give up on anybody just because at this time they're a little afraid or they think it's too weird or they think that they cannot. And by the way, a lot of those people might not be listening right now. So what you need to be able to do is you need to reach out to them. We've got so much that we're continuing to do as a church. We need your help. Because if more and more people realize other people are doing this and it's possible, they're, they're going to eventually join and help. Are you willing to learn new things to become like others? Are you willing to strengthen your relationships? 
And I think one of the good things that could come out of this is that we will look after each other more. We will contact each other more. We will communicate with one another more. Are you willing to do it? And are you thinking even now about how you can show God's love to be the hands and feet of Christ when we cannot be together? Are we thinking about that? Are we trying to figure this out? That's what we need to do. Because when we are the body of Christ, God's glory is seen. When we're reaching out to one another and helping one another, God's glory is seen. Whenever we're loving one another, not just in thought, but in action, God's glory is seen. We want to reveal God in the midst of the coronavirus. We need to find out how can we be the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ in this time. I think what we saw in the world probably happened in your own life where you went through this process and maybe you're still stuck on one of these other, these, these other steps. But I hope as a Christian we get to that last step. And the first step is, is where you thought about how does this affect me? How does this affect me and, and, you know, and my, maybe my family? And how do I protect myself and my family? You know, what about my job? What about, you know, the things that are going on that affect me? And that's fine. People, it's kind of natural to think that way. And then maybe you got a little more broad-minded and you started to think about how does this affect other people? How does it affect the elderly? How does it affect, you know, people in the community? How does it affect our healthcare workers that are just kind of overwhelmed? How, how is that happening? And so we started to think about them. And that's good. That's a good step. Not just thinking about yourself, thinking about others. But then this next step, really important step, is not just how does this affect, how does this affect, but it's this. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help my church? How can I help other people in the church? How can I help our, our leadership? How can I help? How can I help people in the community? How can I help the elderly? How can I help our healthcare workers? How can I help? And it takes us a while to get there. But let's get there. I can't tell you. It's a simple thing we did this morning, having a little video conference for our Sunday school class. But it encouraged me so much that so many people made the effort to do that. I don't know if my lesson was any good, but I do know this. My heart was warmed just by the fact that I got to see everybody in their homes. Some of them, you know, looked like they just got out of bed. Others looked like they had been up for a couple hours and they all looked good. Not going to say who is who, but it was good. It's good. Are we at that point? That's the challenge. Please, think about this. Pray about this. This isn't just a message because of the coronavirus. This is a message that we need to know and we need to live every single day.